Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Sina Bazilahickey, and today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with the Clean Slate Act's failure to pass in Schenectady. Then Willie Terry brings us coverage from the recent Kwanzaa celebration at the Troy Boys and Girls Club, followed by Willie Terry's interview with brother Malik Muhammad on Black history at that same Kwanzaa event. After that, Marsha Lazarus interviews an advocate for social justice and equity by the name of Regina Betts. And finally, we hear the second part of Lavender's interview with Steve Pierce, co-founder and former executive director of The Sanctuary. But first, here are the headlines. The Albany County Sheriff's Office will hold its first gun buyback event this Saturday. The event will be held from noon to 4 p.m. at the Westmere Fire Department at 1732 Western Ave in Gilderland. Lexis Figueroa, the leader of the Saratoga Springs Black Lives Matter movement, said he is appalled that the city is considering Lieutenant Tyler McIntosh, a defendant of the Daryl Mount wrongful death lawsuit for police chief. Commissioner of Public Safety James Montagnino, who will select the next chief, says that no evidence has been presented that the six officers acted inappropriately in dealing with Mr. Mount. The Times Union reports that State Supreme Court Justice Peter Lynch argues in a new legal filing that his decision to scrap Nauman Hussein's no-jail plea, plea deal in the scary limo crash case was entirely allowed under state law. He also argues that now isn't the time for Hussein to appeal the decision. Instead, he should wait until the case is concluded. The village of Kaksaki has paid... The village of Kaksaki has passed a moratorium on short-term rentals such as Airbnbs to give it time to study whether the rentals should be further regulated. With the village seeing an influx of new residents and visitors during COVID, officials say the increased interest in the community has also led people to buy properties solely to rent them out for short-term rental platforms, turning the homes into investment properties. The latest state health department report on COVID found that only 18% of Rensselaer County and 20.4% of Albany County residents are considered up-to-date with COVID-19 boosters. Both COVID and flu infections remain high statewide, with the Capital Region's seven-day average percentage of positive test results at 7.6%. The city of Troy announced that there will be a $500,000 investment in the Public Art for All of Troy program. The program was developed by the Arts Center of the Capital Region to use art to enhance public spaces. The Post Star reports that the town superior of Moreo, town superior Todd uh, Kuznerch, has received around $7,000 in campaign donations connected to the controversial Saratoga Biochar Solutions Project that the Moreau Planning Board is presently reviewing. 
The company's plans are currently under review by state regulators, and the town is subject to an ongoing lawsuit by environmental activists who are trying to stop the project. The supervisor noted, however, that two of the individuals he appointed to the planning board voted against the project. And that is it for the headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518-272-2390. So for our first story... The Clean Slate Act was voted down in Schenectady with a 3-3 to vote. This act would seal the records of formerly incarcerated people after three years for a misdemeanor, after seven years for a felony. Prior to the vote in a crowded Schenectady City Hall, Tom Carey with the Upper Union Neighborhood Association argued that the measure would provide additional uh, economic opportunities for many city residents while benefiting employers looking to hire reliable workers. Kerry was joined by many others to support Clean Slate, and we were expecting to have a guest to show uh, to comment on this issue, what happened uh, with the vote, where it is now. Um, and so in an upcoming episode, we will do just that. And this story is from Moses Nagel from Before the Vote in Schenectady. In her 2022 State of the State, Governor Kathy Hochul vowed to push for the Clean Slate Act in order to, quote, improve opportunities for released individuals following the completion of a sentence. Many municipalities have passed resolutions supporting the act. The Schenectady City Council has proposed one such resolution in support of the law. Sean Young of the group All of Us explains why it is important. Clean Slate legislation basically proposes to do this, to seal convictions automatically for folks with misdemeanors and felonies. Three years for a misdemeanor after any probation period is served. So say someone does six months in the county jail and then another, I don't know, year on probation. Three years after that, as long as they don't have any interactions or, or charged with any crimes or anything like that with law enforcement, then they would have their conviction sealed. For a felony, same thing. You go to prison, you get a felony, serve that time. After you're done with whatever supervision or parole, the, the clock tolls, seven years in, you automatically get sealed. It's not an expungement, it's a sealing, which means law enforcement still has access to your record. And the sealing is not automatic for everyone. Folks that have uh, sexual offenses uh, are not eligible for this. And if you are attempting to work at a place of vulnerable population or where you have to use fingerprints for a background check, like all those places will still be able to see a record no matter what, right? The ceiling doesn't apply to them. The ceiling mostly applies to folks finding a place to live and finding a place to work. Now, our position, or, or at least the position of, of the folks at Clean Slate that have pushed this bill, which is, has a ton of support across the state, um, the Senate passed it last year. The House failed to bring it to the floor. The governor supports it in her administration. Several cities have committed uh, resolutions uh, in support of this legislation. So, you know, from labor to business to faith groups, it's a wide support. Many people acknowledge that what we have currently is a system of perpetual punishment, 
where someone is convicted of a crime and they will forever, forever have to deal with that conviction, basically pinholding them to that act that they committed once upon a time in their life and never releasing them from that. Now, we all know that the community that most impacted by that type of perpetual punishment are communities of color, which still are the vast majority inside our prisons and on parole or convicted in our state. And this legislation will, uh, in my opinion, give those who are simply trying to, you know, be welcomed back into society again and incentivizes good behavior because knowing that I don't, I won't have a conviction anymore is like, you know, like I won't have a conviction. Like if I just do it, you know what I mean? And you'll find a way, right? Instead of being lost to the idea that you'll never be able to live this down or earn your way back into our community, right? Um, there's an economic component. There's so many jobs that are vacant right now. We want folks working. We want folks investing in our cities and our towns and villages and continue to have a, a population that I guess many folks, you know, that are in opposition to this feel are disposable. It's not helping us as a society. This isn't about giving someone a break so much as it's about making sure our community as a whole is healthy, right? We understand how people come to criminality. We know, right, that it's not something, some essential quality about a person, right? We know that environment plays a huge part of that. Why are we not, we have not to this point made sure that there is a pathway of redemption, a pathway out of that and back into society. And I think if we do do that, if we begin to have that type of mindset, then we will as a society be better for it, every single one of us. And I don't care what neighborhood you live in in the city or where, you know, how much money you make. If we have a population that we're continuing to feed into the carceral state, right, no one's safe because people are being released from prison, uh, released from jail, and they will have an impact on our community regardless of what. 95% of people return home, right? 95% of people return home to our cities, to our neighborhoods. We want to make sure that those Residents have an opportunity to find their way out and to be contributing members. Despite the support, the move to pass a resolution in favor of the Clean Slate Act has raised some divisions in the council and throughout the city's politics, says Jamaica Miles of the Schenectady School Board and all of us. The city of Schenectady, the city council, is looking to pass a resolution in support of New York State passing the Clean Slate Act. This is not anything different than the city council has done before in support of other initiatives, groups, or organizations. In the city of Schenectady, the um, Republican Party has attempted in the last year to make a resurgence, even though the, the city has been democratically run for quite some time. Their current leadership, Matt Nelligan, recently declared and announced that he's going to run for mayor this year against Gary McCarthy. And he specifically released a video that he is against Clean Slate and opposes the city council supporting it. And their messaging is the same message that they've had for the last year of fear and misinformation and disinformation. And specifically, that if Jamaica Miles supports it, you should not. Surely, I thought, Ms. Miles is exaggerating about the opposition's focus on her personally as a reason to oppose such a measure. 
Here is Republican mayoral candidate Matt Nelligan from his Man in the Arena video. Clean slate sounds great. I'll call it a criminal conspiracy. It's a part of a greater conspiracy that's been going on for some time in our country and in our state in particular to put criminals on a pedestal and make regular people pay the price. It's a bad idea because of who supports it, not just Carl and not just Amani, but who's really pushing it? You guessed it, Jamaica Miles. The Democrats inside the Schenectady City Council, however, are not completely united on this issue. There are some city council members who also have been on this side of the Republican Party, even though they are registered Democrats. John Palmineni is one for sure who has been very outspoken and in opposition to any initiatives brought forward by the people of color on the city council. And that is very much the dynamics that we are facing here in the city. There is a fully democratic body. Every elected official at the city level is a registered Democrat, the mayor and all seven city council members. But there is a division that we've seen, and it's very evident and has been reported on by others between the white Democratic members and the people of color who are largely black folks on our city council. Doreen DeToro, actually at the last city council meeting, said that as a property owner, she wants to in perpetuity know the history of any person. So she was very clear that she opposes clean slate. Jamaica Miles explained when this issue will be picked up again by the council and how this is just one facet of an ongoing project to give voice to many in the city of Schenectady, often ignored by city politics. On the 17th is the next committee meeting, and this will be something that's voted on in committee. And then it is brought as a legislative item to the city council meeting on the 23rd. We can expect that on the 23rd, there will be folks in attendance at that city council meeting speaking for and against the resolution, Um, just as there currently are online right now, individuals voicing their opinion, Matt Nelligan leading the charge from the Republican Party, um, whereas community members, residents in the city are the ones in support of it. Matt Nelligan moved here, I believe it was in 2019, and considers himself an expert about what this city needs without actually speaking to the residents impacted by this legislation. We continue to do the work we've been doing for three years now. It's you know, in February 15th, it will be three years of us on the ground talking directly to community members specifically those who typically are not asked questions or or have an opportunity to be heard at homeless shelters and food pantries and in marginalized communities where the most impoverished are living and don't have access to the internet to take a survey that they never knew about, right? We continue to share the results of the Black Freedom Project survey where over 300 black residents said, what does it mean to have a safe, healthy and thriving community? So we're going to continue to do that work and make sure that the voices of the people who are represented by those sitting in office are actually heard and they can make informed decisions about what's in the best interest of those people. Reporting for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, this is Moses Nagel.
That report was from before the vote, and the Clean Slate Act was voted down in Schenectady with a 3-3 vote. We will follow up this decision with the current report in the coming days. And next we have roaming labor correspondent Willie Terry at the Boys and Girls Club. This was back in December 29th, 2022, on day four of Kwanzaa, the Ujamaa, the Cooperative Economics Day of Celebration. And in this segment, he spoke with Brother Malik Muhammad, uh, NAACP President Renee Powell, and Vice President Jerry Ford. He said, if you you trace the history of black men, you won't find a beginning line. And if you keep going on what they tried to do, you won't find a finish line. So we're not a race. A race is a social construct, right? A race means I'm, I'm competing against other people. We're not competing against anyone. We never had to compete against. Our worst enemy is our own self. And once we recognize who we are, the, the, the journey begins. Once we discover who we are, because we've been told we've been a lot of things. We was called that one time when I grew up, if you called somebody black, they said, what did you call me? You'd be out in the uh, grass swinging, trying to fight because they done called you black. But we've evolved And I like to tell you that black is not a color. So if there's any noble Dwellings here, please, uh, I, I know this is a whole conversation with the noble dream. Black, black is a frequency. All right? So let's, everybody that look like us ain't on the same frequency. There's something that they say a lot of skin folks ain't kin folks. Am I right? We have a lot of people that, I was 12 years in the educational system. This is the reason why I put this together. I used to get the teachers, I said, why don't you teach black history? Why don't you show elementary genocide? Why don't you show hidden colors? Uh, if I show hidden colors, it's going to get the rest of all the white teachers. They're going to be angry with me. What do that have to do with our babies being liberated? The Jews have no problems talking about their history, do they? Excuse me, am I talking to, do the Jews have a problem talking about their history? His story is his story. Our history has been a mystery to us for a long time. We done came up with all kinds of things and we told, I have a board that sets the record straight. And I want you to come over to this board and I'm a, uh, I need the, you to time it. I don't want to be long because I know well, what happens is after somebody has shared information with you, the average person listens for about 20 minutes. So what we're going to do, I want this to be interactive. Because the brothers said reading is powerful. Malcolm X said if you want to hide something from black people, what do you do? Put it in the book. There's a story I read. Brother had thousands of dollars in his in his library in the book. Thousands, all his money. They came in and robbed everything. Not the books. Not the books. But stay there, you went and ran to the book, the money was still there. Black folks, we're in a serious time now. Anybody that's my age can see it and know. This is Willie Terry, your Hustle Mohawk Roman labor correspondent, and I'm here today at the Boys and Girls Club where they're having a Kwanzaa. 
I have as my guest Renee Powell, president of the NAACP. How you doing, Renee? I'm doing great, Willie. Good to see you. So, Renee, tell me something about this day of Kwanzaa. You know, what's going on and how you feel about it and why you think it's important. Okay, so today we're celebrating Umoja, and it is uh, dealing with cooperative economics. And this is very important because this is talking about building up communities, uh, creating business opportunities for uh, black people. And so um, this is a very important. We had a great guest speaker, uh, Dr. Horton from the uh, UAlbany, and, um, and he spoke on cooperative economics and what it meant and what it means. And one of the key components is we have to have cooperative people to have cooperative economics. And so aside from uh, celebrating Ujima, uh, the NAACP is also working to create a youth chapter and to uh, focus on cooperative economics with the youth. And so what that involves is helping them to understand the importance of being self-sufficient, having businesses, and also to teach them about their history. And it seems like the NAACP has been doing a lot uh, lately. And I hear that you just got re-elected as president of the NAACP. Well, tell me something about that and your office. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, um, yes, we had our election um, in November, and I was re-elected. And thank you to um, our members for doing that. Um, so I am the president. The vice president is. Uh, Jerry Ford, our first vice president. Our second vice president is uh, Billy Carter. Our secretary is Shania Jackson. And our assistant secretary is Celinda Hammett. Our treasurer is Ivan McGraw. And then we have uh, numerous uh, people who are members at large. So we can look uh, forward to having more events like this and celebrating uh, different uh, historical days that black people celebrate, right? That is correct. So we do have monthly meetings, and it's always the fourth Thursday of the month um, at 6.30, and we are looking to host those meetings here at the Boys and Girls Club, Troy. And in addition to that, we're looking at um, having more additional events that are geared towards helping people in the community find resources to deal with issues they may be dealing with. All right, Renee. It's Renee Powell, president of the NAACP Troy chapter. Thank you. Thank you, brother. And I have as my guest, brother Jerry Ford, Deacon Jerry Ford, who's one of the key organizers of the Kwanzaa here in the Capital Region. Yeah. And how you doing, Jerry? I'm well, Mr. Terry. It's always a pleasure to see you and, and to be out here in the community. Yeah. And let me just, before I ask you a question, let me just look at your shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you can't see your audience, but what he got is on a shirt with a uh, fist in the middle of Africa and says, we have nothing to lose but our change. And you do have change decorated on that. It's nice. Yeah, man, that's the only thing we got. There's nothing holding us back. You know, uh, we stand on the, on the shoulders of great giants, icons who did so much to prepare this moment for us. So we don't got nothing to lose, man, except the change that's holding us back, man. And they're, they're no longer there. We just got to get out there and do it. So tell me uh, uh, something about the Kwanzaa. You know, why, uh, you know, I mean, you involved every year. Why is it so important to have that, this celebration in our community? Kwanzaa gives us uh, more meaning to our walk. You know, um, you know, unfortunately, our experience as a people, we have been told and taught 
you know, uh, the ways of others and we don't have enough of us. So this Qantas celebration brings us together. It gives us a common ground to stand on as people and uh, as we move forward, uh, a, a target for us to work on together. And uh, I spoke to uh, uh, Renee Powell, uh, who's the president of NAACP, and she mentioned that you are the first vice president. So uh, what could we look forward to from the first vice president? Uh, the first vice president, um, right now in this role, I just want to continue to learn more and more about the role and, you know, and how I could be uh, more effective in the role. And then I just want to look at the landscape and see how we can move the Troy branch of the NAACP in a more forward direction. Not to say that it ain't moving forward, but how can we consolidate and be more effective in what we're doing in our fight? So how would you assess the program that you had tonight? I think the program was excellent, man. Just the fact that all of us come together, that's a plus for me. Um, all of us who are in here, there are a lot of vendors out. There are a lot of children out. Um, yeah, I, I feel like they were very successful. Oh, man, the information that we learned today. We had two educators. So we had Professor Dr. Uh, Hayward Horton, which is my mentor, my own personal mentor. I'm proud about that. But then we also have my big brother, uh, Brother Malik Muhammad, who's also an educator. So that was just amazing. Yeah, I see you had all those uh, historical yeah. uh, pictures on the wall up there. Yes. All right. And I love I love the way uh, Brother Malik set up his historical um, African American museum, a black museum, because it doesn't start at sli slavery, which in education a lot of uh, what I, we're taught is that our our fight start, our, our history. Now I ain't gonna say our fight. Our history started at slavery. That we weren't great prior to that, and that's what Brother Malik does so eloquently. He establishes our greatness prior to slavery. And Kwanzaa don't end tonight. Uh, there are other Kwanzaa's coming up, right? Correct, yes. Yeah, so we still have three more nights of Kwanzaa um, here in the Capital District. Um, but what we want to do is we want to get into the habit, habit of celebrating Kwanzaa all year round. Um, one of my great teachers, uh, the, uh, the um, brother uh, Aaron Carter, who actually brought me into all of this, he always said that, you know, the Kwanzaa principles are seven. Those same principles should be applied to the seven days of the week. Okay. So you should be able to practice Kwanzaa every day of the week throughout the whole year and not just one week at the end of the year. Words of wisdom from Brother Deacon Jerry Ford. Thank you, Jerry. No, thank you. Appreciate it. It's a wonderful idea to celebrate the principles on each day of the week. Willie Terry has given us continuous uh, Kwanzaa coverage, not only from this year, but from previous years. So you can find that on, um, on, on our website, mediasanctuary.org. And following this short break, we will hear more from Brother Malik Muhammad. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazila Hickey, and you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, also streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. And if you like what you hear, a great way to support us is by telling a friend, sharing is caring, spread the word about what we do, perhaps join in as well. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. So before the break, Willie Terry, we heard him at the Boys and Girls Club speaking with NAACP Troy representatives and covering the uh, Kwanzaa event. 
In this part, he continues to speak with Brother Malik Muhammad on black history. I have books here. I, I said I have to this time, and I'm sorry, I put a little prop. I had to give our historians some credit, because we can't, if it wasn't for them and the books that they wrote, we wouldn't know half of this information. So I'm going to ask. Some of my favorite books written by this gentleman right here. Can somebody please tell me who this gentleman is? Is that Elijah Muhammad? No, that's not Elijah Muhammad. Who's this gentleman like, right here? Like professor is not a professor is not allowed to answer these questions. <laughs> Can someone else? All right, I'm gonna give you some uh, books that he wrote. He wrote From Superman to Man, Great Men of Color. Iconic historian. Let it starts with a J. J.A. Rogers. They said it. J.A. Rogers. Get his books. The professor was right on it. I just listened because me and my wife was talking about this. If you have an environment and all they see is you up there looking at this thing called television, telling the lie to your vision, they only going to do with environment that you set. Do they see, can you go in the average black person's house and see some books? Do you see any W.E. Du Bois books up there? Do you see any uh, Marcus Garvey books? Do you see a red, black, and green flag anywhere in the environment? No. And then you saying, I don't know why these children act the way they do. Why they act crazy? I send them to school and they don't want to know nothing. Yeah, well, you've created an environment that they don't want to know nothing. If you have books around and have a reading night, guess what they would love to start doing? Reading. Children are very easily, it's an easy process. You do it over and over again, and guess what they do? They read. I put over here, the Songhai Empire. In the school system, they start from here. Like our history started here, from slavery. They forget about the 5,000, 10,000 years of black people before even white people were even around. They didn't even know what a white person, if a white person would have popped up during this time, they would have said, what the heck is this, what mutation is this? So we have brother mentioned, Mansa Kankan Musa. Took his whole village, took all everybody, took him to Hodge, paid, he was so wealthy, he made uh, Bill Gates and them look like they poor. In fact, he messed up the economy a little bit because he spent so much money, he kind of messed the whole ecosystem up. In Egypt. In Egypt. And he traveled. I put here, uh-oh, I didn't grow, I didn't see this man in my church for a long This man was not in my church book. Uh, back, mine was blonde hair and blue eyes. In the middle of hot Africa, he was blonde hair and blue eyes. This changes the script a little bit, doesn't it? Some people say, it don't matter what color. Give me a break. Give me a break. That's an old argument. It doesn't matter. So if it didn't matter what color he was, why'd you paint him white? Come on. Let's, let's, let's not even go into the old arguments. We're in 2022 now. All of those old arguments. I needed to know that there was a black man with some dreadlocks that was dark, and sometimes he would lose his temper and just kick people in the face. I needed to know that. 
and make it even deeper. Yeah, he had a wife named Mary. I'm gonna keep it moving. All right. Uh, Zipporah, Nubian queens. We have our gods were all black. History in words. History in words. 4,000 years ago, did we use the word God? No, sir. somebody help me out. Why we didn't use the word God? English didn't exist. No, well, it's not English because God is a Greek and Latin word, isn't it? Were the Greeks around 4,000 years ago? Come on, let's do history. Let's do some time travel here. This is why history is so important for us to know because they, you could put things in the order and know when the words originated. Because all words have an origin, don't they? Yes. We didn't use the word God, and we definitely didn't call him Jesus during his time period. Why didn't we call him Jesus? There was no J. Was it no letter J? It was a Y, but it was no letter J. So uh, you ain't going to be saved, but by the name of Jesus, I'm uh, sorry, his name was Yeshua, so let's get it right. And if it was that easy, I just wait right before I'm going to die and I'll say, Jesus, save me. Do you think uh, I get a pass thing? All right. Let's, let's move on. We got all these great black leaders. We have Hap Chipsup, the first black female. I didn't put on, I had to download because I could have took it all away. I could have covered this whole war with our history and then five and ten more wars. Yeah, yeah. Our history runs deep. We haven't even begun to tell the story. Africa was not called Africa in the beginning. Dr. Henry Clark said the earliest name that we have for that continent is called Elkebulon. What do you call it? Elkebulon, right? And then Cush and then some other names. So we have to make sure we don't negot stop negotiating names and words. It's power. Words have power and frequency. Stop letting everybody tell you, oh, we're African-Americans. We're not African-Americans. Both of those words, Amir, is an Islamic word. When you study, you'll find out. We have to read. You're not going to get it from a TikTok video. Do not come and debate nothing from a TikTok video with me. If you haven't read a few books and then said, look, I read uh, The Destruction of Black Civilization by Chancellor William. I read uh, They Came Before Columbus by Ivan Van Sertima, right? All of these great uh, uh, historians that we had. So now we move from our black rulership. I'm not even going to call it slavery. I'm not going to call this. I'm, I'm the controller of my narrative. I'm the black king. I'm the black god. I control my narrative, the words that I enter, the words I accept. This is called interrupted black history. This is black history interrupted. That's what it's called. If you want to call it slave, you can use that term. But if you do, it's going to rile up a psychic and a post-traumatic that's in your DNA, and you might not be able to handle it. So you better find some liberation in using words that liberate you and empower you. And before we came here, they finding out now, my mother, I just had to do her eulogy obituary, and she told me for many years, she said, boy, I'm Indian. I said, Ma, you just don't want to be African-American. And she would bust out laughing. She said, no, boy, I'm telling you, I got Native American in me. So when I put her, when we did the research and went down into Florida to find out 
and I called all my cousins. They said, Malik, why you think your grandfather's name was Early Bird and your grandmother's name was Running Water? Early Bird, Running Water, you know, sound. And then she was Seminole. And then I had to look deep in the Seminole. Seminole were runaway slaves that joined forces and were supported by the, 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 the native uh, indigenous people that would let them hide out and hang out there and, and share on their reservation. This history can never be forgotten. You could want to forget it if you want to. You could try to disperse it and forget what was done to us, but history is most qualified to reward all our research. The same tricks that was done here, you don't think this will ever be done again? What if I tell you they're doing it right now? How many black children turn up missing every year? Do we know? Do we know the numbers? How many black children are missing every year? For what, organ parts? Uh, do, uh, do we have that going on, selling organs? Do we have lynching? What's the last lynching? Do you know that there was a, a lynching here in the 70s in Albany, New York? Yeah. These are people that used to take postcards. Do you see this right here? So you, you have to deal with the nature of what kind of human being would do something like this. Yeah, and some people are going to get uncomfortable. And if you ain't 500 years old, 400 years old, we know you had nothing to do with it. But we're dealing with something that's inside of a human being that can be riled up again. And we have to make sure that it never brought up again. And I tell you, these young people ain't gonna let it happen again. <laughs> yeah, I know. They, they, they something different. They on a different. They in a different foul category altogether. That will not happen. They might shoot each other, but they ain't letting no group of people come hang nobody. They ain't gonna happen. That is out. That was the voice of Brother Malik Mohammed at the Kwanzaa presentation at the Boys and. Troy Boys and Girls Club on December 29th, part of Willie, uh, roaming labor correspondent Willie Terry's coverage of Kwanzaa from 2022. And there's another part that will can either be heard on our website, mediasanctuary.org, or keep listening for a following episode to hear that. Next up, Regina Betts. Her deep beliefs in social justice and equality are made clear when she speaks about her career journey and active participation in civil rights. In spite of the trauma that she experienced as a Jewish child in France during World War II. You clearly experienced terrible, terrible trauma as a child. And one reaction to that kind of experience is really closing off one's world, you know, trying to build secure walls, safety. What do you feel enabled you to respond after your experiences with really what I would call such an open heart and also what I would call with such fierce determination to speak out against acts of injustice experienced by others? What do you feel allowed you to take that approach? I, I really don't know. I really don't do enough. Hmm. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine.
Tomorrow is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. I'm Marcia Lazarus, and I'm sitting here with Regina Betts of Delmar, New York. Regina, I believe we first met through the Jewish Feminist Brunch Group in Albany. Mm -hmm. I remember being struck. It was during a discussion about our careers, our professional life, and you were talking about your first off-Broadway theater job and what you were especially proud of. After I finished high school here, I went to Brooklyn College. I was encouraged to go to Summer Stock, and from there I made connection and knew some people who worked at the Fort Street Theater that was funded by a man from the Midwest, David Ross. He did some new kind of shows, even presented the, the book, a Jewish play, and I was lucky enough to get a job starting in the theater as a prop girl. And then what encouraged me was the fact that the producer-director, David Ross, had hired a number of, of actors that had been blacklisted, some well-known names, especially Morris Kanofsky, who was very well-known, and um, a number of others who had been blacklisted. They could not get jobs in acting. They, were, they could not get jobs in movies. They could not get jobs in TV. And he hired them to be in the place, Chekhov plays. And I was so proud to be part of this. It gave uh, meaning to being there. It meant a lot to me. These beliefs and these values that you clearly hold dearly were expressed throughout your career. Because I remember you talking a little bit about the research you did on the Spider Woman Theater. And I was just, that intrigued me. I was wondering what that was and a a little bit about what intrigued you about Spider Woman Theater. Their story as Indian women was um, very rich. Uh, I had worked in the theater department and then I went to the English department. And in both uh, departments I did some research on uh, the diversity of theater, the diversity of playwriting, and the diversity of writing generally. Uh, Most of the time in in theater, it used to be that when one was taught the story of, of theater, what predominated were the European theater. There was no mention of any kind of theater from Africa, even from Asia. Those were rich places. And then as far as English literature, most of it was silent for a long time on the contribution of non-European ancestors. So I introduced, I was not the only one. Francine Frank particularly was very instrumental as a dean and encouraging that production. I really respect it intensely. Regina, 
why did incorporating diversity in theater studies, in English lit studies, why did that matter so much to you? Because the voices were silent. Nobody knew of their existence. Regina, you and your husband were also actively involved in the civil rights movement. In fact, I understand that when you and your husband and four children were living upstate in Worcester in, in Otsego County, and you were teaching at SUNY Oneonta, you were instrumental in founding a local NAACP chapter. Can you talk a little bit about what it was that motivated that? After we had been there for some years, maybe three years, an event happened in, at SUNY Oneonta, which shocked me so. An older woman claimed that she had been attacked. Although her house was black, she claimed the man was black. The police went looking, claimed they saw blood, but what it was, it was red paint. Somebody was painting. Hmm. Yeah, we, we read it in the paper, and my husband and I, we went to the meeting that night immediately. Because it was like, it was like Germany. Yeah. And what happened is that the police went the next day to ask the administration of the college to provide all the names of the black students. And the administrator gave them that information, although it was against the law. And that so shocked me, my husband, and some neighbors that we started, we met to protest. The case became known countrywide as the Brothers of the Blacklist. So out of that, we realized there was a group of us that we need a strong civil rights because this happened, and we needed a strong organization. And uh, the NSCP had the power of the, the name, and the uh, organization is still going. And there are still cases. Mm -hmm. There are cases all the time about young black men being arrested. The injustice remains. We recently passed the holiday celebrating Martin Luther King Day. I wondered if that commemorating Martin Luther King's legacy, his I Have a Dream speech, if that has some special significance to you. Oh, yes. What is meaningful to me about it is the fact that he was very moved by nonviolence. And there was a sort of simplicity of that belief. It's so simple to understand nonviolence. Why don't people believe in it more? Is a question. It's the way he explained, he expressed himself on equality. 
that made them so meaningful in that speech in Washington. That was Marsha Lazarus speaking with Regina Betts. And this is part one of her coverage on the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is the 27th of January. You can tune in for our next episode to hear part two. And to close out tonight's show, Steve Pierce stepped down from his role as executive director of the Sanctuary for Independent Media to make room for fresh leadership, namely Kristen K.P. Holler. Steve Pierce worked with others to create an incredible organization, bringing extensive experience in independent media. We appreciate all that he contributes and continues to contribute. And Lavender spoke with him about his experience prior to the sanctuary, the 18 years of leadership at the sanctuary, and what his plans are now. This is part two of that interview. Yeah, that's good insight. So so you would say one thing you learned is that... um you needed some more defined perhaps traditional roles to to be successful um i don't know i think it was a matter of a constant struggle to avoid slipping into the uh the track of uh conventional top-down authoritarian structures i mean if you think about it you went to rpi um our education system is based on authoritarianism you know you're told what to do you do it if you do it you do well if you don't you get you know bad grades or whatever uh you know i think the educational system and i see that a lot working with younger uh, people in troy through our youth programs people in schools are being taught you know shut up sit down don't ask questions do what you're told that's the educational system and it you know follows us through life and so uh trying to structure human activity in different ways other than being told what to do and then doing it um, is a challenge. And it's it's because it's not the it's not the uh, conventional wisdom, it's not how how society is structured around us, it's a constant struggle to uh, operate in a different way. So that's one of the challenges that uh, that we confronted uh, over over time. Yeah. Okay, great point. So um the incoming executive director uh, Kristen K.P. Holler, am I saying her name right? Um, she's she's going to be taking on your responsibilities. So uh, how will she continue to help the sanctuary grow? And um, yeah, well, tell us about her and what the next steps are. Well, luckily, there's going to be an interview with Kristen, and so she'll be able to uh, talk about herself, which will be much more accurate than than me trying to do that for her. But um, Kristen comes from uh, a background at the Albany Barn and the Electric City Barn, both uh, nonprofit art spaces. And uh, there's a lot of similarities between uh, what we've done at the sanctuary and what they uh, do at the barn. Uh, so I'm uh, really excited about bringing somebody in who has experience in um, you know, part of what we do, and also who has um, a lot of enthusiasm to learn the other part. I don't think uh, Kristen has a lot of experience in doing media um, and that sort of thing, which has been a large part of what we've done from the beginning, but we've uh, diversified quite a bit. So it's an organization that's uh, media based, but we run, and so we have a radio station and we have, uh, you know, a video channel and do screenings and that kind of thing that are all what you would expect from a media organization. But we also have a uh, uh, environmental justice center uh, down the street from our uh, uh, media studios. We have a 
wellness center for the neighborhood. We have an outdoor per performance venue. We have gardens. We have a lot of different things that we do. And some of those things are uh, going to be familiar to Kristen and some of them will be unfamiliar. And it's going to be exciting to see how she puts those pieces together. I think we ha we've developed a lot to work with over the last 20 years. And it's going to be great to have somebody um, who has, you know, a lot of energy and enthusiasm and vision for where we can go from here. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what are, what are some of the most significant or perhaps some of your favorite experiences in this role um, that maybe, you know, similarly uh, KP can look forward to? Well, you know, I, I, you know, for me, I came in with an interest in music and, uh, you know, a lot of the things we've done at the sanctuary over the past, uh, I don't know, almost 20 years have been um, because I had a personal interest in it. So, uh, for example, I've been able to uh, produce a lot of jazz and African music concerts and um, some of my, you know, lifelong uh, heroes have come to Troy as a result of um, the, uh, you know, opportunity to to host people in a, in a venue um, like the sanctuary, we've, uh, I never would have imagined it. I, I remember that it was back in, uh, gee, when was it? Uh, can't even remember when it was, sometime in the late um, 1980s, probably, driving uh, through uh, Tennessee in my pickup truck and listening to Thomas Mapfumo, the great Zimbabwean freedom fighter and uh, artist. And just, you know, just amazed by the music and the you know everything that he was doing if you had told me that i would uh, meet thomas mafumo and have a chance to work with him not not just once but three or four times uh, i would have told you you know you're crazy and yet thomas came to the sanctuary and performed at our uh, 10th anniversary uh, celebration with his band the blacks unlimited um, and that was a fantastic show um, we had uh, salif keita another huge hero of mine uh, uh, a superstar from uh, Mali, a global superstar from Mali and, you know, representing the best traditions of uh, African culture and creativity. Um, he came to the sanctuary, Fatimata Diarwa, uh, Matthew Shipp. I mean, a lot of my personal high points have been uh, around music, but there have been you know, many other things as well. It's been great to put a radio station on the air, to build our um, outdoor concert venue at Freedom Square, the uh, turning an empty building on our block that had been vacant for 20 years into an environmental justice center. I mean, there's been a lot of highlights and I've met just such fantastic people and had a chance to work with folks who uh, uh, none of this would have been possible without. It's been a great, uh, you know, community building experience and um, lots and lots of fun. If I had more time to think about it before you ask that question, I'd probably come up with a comprehensive list, but maybe this is more honest. These are things that fly off the top of my head and um, so they must be true. Yeah, and I mean, it's been such a, a long time of amazing events and experiences. It's hard to just, you know, pick out a few of them. Um, but luckily, they're all documented on the website. Um, so I know we're kind of short on time, but there's so many, so many things that I and I'm sure others would love to know. Um, so I'm curious, um, what, are, what are your next steps? I know that you're going to be hanging around in the interim to help KP out in the transition. And uh, I'm curious to know what what your plans are in going forward. And um, and finally, as a closing note, what would you like to leave our listeners with after this interview? Oh, okay. I'd like to, I'll start with the last one. I'd like to leave our listeners, uh, each of them with a crisp $100 bill, but sadly that's not going <laughs> to be possible. Um, so 
I'll just skip over that and say that, uh, you know, most of what I've done my whole life has been uh, things that uh, that I'm interested in. I, I feel blessed in that way. Uh, from time to time, I've gotten paying work uh, that allows me to do it and sometimes not. But there really hasn't been much difference to me whether, you know, what job I have and or what the structures are of it. I've just been able to wrap uh, my interests around it all. And it's been very fulfilling that way. So that I don't expect that to change because my job status is changing at the sanctuary. I'm, you know, I live in the capital region and I hope to continue being involved in whatever ways are possible. I think I'll be working on uh, building out our new project, the uh, capital region uh, air justice lab uh, network of uh, air monitors that we're deploying around the capital region. Uh, hope to stay involved in the radio station that we created. I hope to keep on doing concert uh, presenting, all those kinds of things. But uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm just giving up the glamorous day-to-day uh, -day work of executive director and leaving that to uh, KP. Um, but otherwise, I expect to be doing a lot of the same things that I've been doing. Maybe I'll have a little bit more time. I, I used to be an avid cyclist. I rode my, rode my bike across the country some years ago, and uh, I've been uh, getting back on my bike and that's been really great. I've been having a good time with that. I forgot how much fun that is, uh, doing long distance cycling. Uh, I'm going to spend more time with my daughter who needs a little extra help from time to time. And I haven't felt like I've always been there for her. So, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, basically, um, no big changes in sight other than uh, maybe um, a little bit more free time than I had before. Looking forward to it. That's great to hear. And I, I, I'm personally, I'm glad to hear that because uh, it's been lovely getting to know you, Steve. And um, I hope that we can maintain a connection with you uh, from us, you and myself. And of course, the sanctuary uh, will always be here for you. And uh, you'll, I'm sure you'll stick around and work with the sanctuary on a load of things. All right. So thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, this won't be the end. This won't be the last we hear from you. Yeah, well, thanks so much for taking the time out to ask me these things. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to tell you a little bit about what I've done and what I hope to do. Uh, we will definitely be in touch. There's no doubt about that. My One of my personal goals is to get you uh, to move back to Troy. You know, this uh, RPI is, is renowned for uh, uh, being a natural resource that generates all this um, uh, talent that then leaves town. And so we have to make sure we stay, in, uh, stay involved. Yes, uh, I'm definitely planning on, on coming to town more often and uh, hopefully we'll be moving closer in the near future, but we shall see. Nice, okay, well, keep me posted. I appreciate that. All right, thank you so much, Steve. Yeah. That was Lavender interviewing Steve Pierce, one of the co-founders of Sanctuary for Independent Media and incredible influence and former executive director. And stay tuned, as Steve mentioned, there will be an interview with Kristen K.P. Holler and um, Steve will stay around. He's been incredible. I really enjoy working with him. So with that, that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sina Bazilahickey. We want to thank all of the volunteers who made this episode possible. Mark Dunley, Marsha Lazarus, Willie Terry, Moses Nagel, Lavender. And this program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. That's also where you can find all of the stories from today's program 
and past. We appreciate you listening. Until next time.